welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people working to understand viruses and how they affect you. We are talking with virologists, students, and postdocs that belong to the American Society for Virology so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackeray, and I'm hosting this podcast from America's Heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. On October 20th, 2021, we talked with Deepa Mitra, a graduate student in the Tandon Lab at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Deepa obtained her master's in microbiology from the University of Calcutta, India. She is currently investigating the role of glycosaminoglycans and peptide-based therapies for human cytomegalovirus infection. Thanks for talking with us today. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. Uh, My name is Deepanvita Mitra, but I generally go by Deepa. It's easier to say. Um, I grew up in uh, Calcutta, India, which is now called Kolkata. So it's the same place. Uh, I came to the United States to do my uh, PhD. And I completed my bachelor's and master's in microbiology from the University of Calcutta, India. And I am um, a final year uh, PhD student in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology in Dr. Ritesh Tendon's lab at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We are a virology lab and we study human cytomegaloviruses. I mean, not only human, but we study murine cytomegaloviruses too. But overall, we are a CMV lab. Great. Um, So it's actually kind of exciting to talk to someone who studies DNA viruses, because a lot of the people in the American Society for Virology are RNA virologists. So this will be actually exciting. Um, Before we get to what you work on, can you tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in science and then virology? Sure. So it's kind of funny. And when I tell people like that, from my very childhood, like I knew that I was going to study biology. They don't believe me, but it is true. So um, I grew up um, in a family where both my parents were into science. My dad was a doctor. He was a family medicine doctor. And my mom uh, was, my mom was a chemistry person. She had a chemistry major. Uh, So from the, you know, all I can remember since the day I had sense to understand things around me, I could just, I I used to just kind of follow my dad, what he did, and kind of try to emulate him. Even when I'm like playing or doing something, I would just try to be a pretend, like I I would do, I I would be a pretend doctor. And then my dolls would be my patients. And, you know, I'm writing prescriptions for them. And I just, to me, it was such a novel thing for him to do, like taking care of people. And when people were sick, he would give them medicines and that would cure them it was like absolutely really cool to me so that's that's all I wanted to do and I I still remember I think I think I was like six or seven and by that time um I would know so many medicines and their compositions and then then I would just like anybody any any guest came to my place and I was like hey can I write you a prescription (laughs) like in my uh toy uh, or whatever like the Barbie pad or whatever, like, okay. And then I'm like, okay, you have cough, you have cold. This is, this is what you need to take two times a day after food or whatever. So I don't know. I, I always thought like, I, I was kind of warned to do this, like, but, but I, I always thought I would become a doctor, like a, like a physician. Um, 
but over the course of time, things changed, and but I never deviated from the path of studying anything other than biology. Uh, so I always had a really one-track mind of studying biology. Uh, right. And- Can you tell us a little bit about that path then? So how did you get from six years old to where you are now? So what were kind of the steps that you went through to actually end up in a virology lab for your PhD? Sure. So, um, I mean, honestly, until high school, I still thought that I was going to med school. So, so a little bit because I did my high schooling and everything in India. Uh, the education system is a little bit different than here. So you don't like how here you have to do your pre-med and then um, do like give your MCAT and go to med school. So over there, high school is really intense. So pretty much like whatever syllabus is in high school, that's kind of like a pre-med syllabus. And I, I decide in high school what, if, what I want to do in like, I want to go to the engineering stream or like humanities or, you know, literature, science. So I had like, physics, chemistry, math, biology combination. And um, then what you do is you give an entrance exam. And once you get through the, you pass the entrance exam, you get wherever you are, you know, the seat is available and, you know, you go there. So anyway, uh, during my high school, I thought after I finish my high school, I'm going to give myself a year and prepare well for my uh, entrance examination. And while just reading, while just doing the joint and trans examination preparation, we had like biochemistry and bacteriology and virology. And it started like, it was very interesting to me and how these are really tiny little microbes and you cannot see them and how they can be devastating and, you know, can be so harmful to your life, um, can cause infection and whatnot. So I got more into it and, and, I decided, and I was still deciding I want to go to med school or like, I want to go to like, I want to go to like a university to pursue, um, you know, uh, just like microbiology or some biochemistry, something like that. So what I did, I kind of enrolled myself in the university and I thought I could still do it. I'm going to try, I'm going to juggle this. I'm going to try, I'm going to attend classes and see if I like it or not. And also prepare for my med, uh, like entrance exams the first year. And honestly, after like three, two or three weeks, I was so mesmerized by microbiology. I remember like having the first book, Prescott's Microbiology and Albert's, uh, the, uh, the book called Cell, the Molecular Biology of the Cell. And I was like, I think I'm going to tell my parents I am not going to go to med school. And I, and I had my first test and I scored so good. And. I'm like, I think this is what I'm going to do. I want to do research. And if I want to do research, I definitely want to uh, finish my education in microbiology, wherever I, whatever I need to do, uh, get my PhD and go into research. But at the time, I did not have any idea that I want to come to US. So I was kind of going in the path of um, doing a PhD in India and then continue doing research. So how did that happen then? How did you get over here? It's kind of funny. So um, I was in my end of the first year of my master's and I saw a couple of my really good friends. They were moving to the U.S. to do their master's. And one, they just said, hey, why don't you try? Um, why don't you apply for schools there? I said, I don't know about that. It must be really complicated. And, uh, you know, um, it must be, honestly, I thought it must be really too expensive to kind of move 
to a different country. And I'm also the only daughter, um, no siblings. So I don't know if my parents want me to go there. Uh, but, but then they said, no, you can actually do PhD there. I mean, you will get a stipend. So, you know, so everything will be covered. And I think that there are lots of op options. So like end of my first year in master's, I started looking into school, like what are the opportunities, what I can get um, if I do a PhD in the United States. And honestly, it blew my mind. So many opportunities, so many good universities, exactly showing what I want to study. And that's how I kind of ended up uh, applying to universities here. Cool, cool. And then how did you end up in your particular lab? So, you know, a lot of times we do rotations and then we choose our lab in the United States. So why did you end up choosing your lab? What was it about it that sort of attracted you? So when I applied, I applied to, uh, I think, four or five schools. And I was actually in, I actually uh, did not come to Mississippi first. I transferred <laughs> from a different school. So I was in Ohio for a semester and I was in a biophysics lab, but um, I, but I, I applied to U, UMMC, University of Mississippi Medical Center. And uh, funny thing, my advisor, he, when I emailed him that I really like your work um, and also it's a medical center and I have my, it's a, you know, the course, I looked at the coursework and it's really aligns to the coursework that I'm interested with because I had my background totally in microbiology and he when I uh, reached out to him and he said you know I'm actually in your city right now giving um, a lecture in this uh, institution national I think it was National Institute of Cholera and Enteric Diseases that's where he was uh, presenting I'm like why don't you come tomorrow and visit you know come, come um, you know attend my talk so that's how I, I met my advisor there and then he encouraged me to apply, but somehow it was just the timing when I got the letter and everything. Um, it was not right. So I already kind of um, said yes to, you know, kind of the other school. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go higher and do biophysics. But I wasn't really happy doing biophysics, honestly, because I still wanted to do more biology because to me, it was like a lot of more physics for me than biology. And uh, this offer was still open. Uh, my advisor reached out to me if I was still interested. And I was like, yes, this is a sign from the universe. I, I got to go. I got to do this. So that's how I ended up in Dr. Tandon's lab in University of Mississippi Medical Center. Cool. And can you tell us then a little bit about sort of like what are the questions you've been trying to address in your PhD? And then maybe um, little bit about your virus. Like I said, we haven't talked a lot of to a lot of people that have studied DNA viruses. Um, so maybe a little bit about CMV. And then maybe, you know, what are some of the kinds of experiments that you do to answer your questions? Sure. So for, for people who don't know a lot about CMV, it's a type of herpes virus. And as we know, herpes virus, it's a DNA virus. Herpes virus has really large DNA. And, um, there are like two types of herpes viruses, alpha, beta, gamma. So alpha is mostly like the common herpes virus you know about that gives you cold stores or like genital herpes. And uh, then you have your chicken pox, shingles, varicella zoster. And then you have your beta herpes virus, which I study with cytomegalovirus. That's um, a congenital uh, um, herpes virus and it causes um, uh, life-threatening complications in immunocompromised patients. And... Um, 
it causes birth defects and fetal mortality and congenital uh, infections in uh, newborns. So uh, this, this, this is for beta herpes virus and for gamma herpes viruses, it's mostly um, like uh, mononucleosis through EBV and cancer causing Kaposi sarcoma virus. I, I don't know immediately a lot about the other, uh, you know, because my, my field is CMV. So I have, I have better knowledge in CMV than the other herpes viruses, but, um, but yeah, uh, so CMV it's, it's, so not only CMV herpes virus, it infects majority of the world's population, but in um, healthy immunocompetent individuals, you don't, it's, it's asymptomatic. And in immunocompromised patients, it can cause a lot of difficulties. So CMV, the seropositivity is really high um, in um, a lot of the population, but for immunocompetent patients, it's okay. And um, <clears throat> until date, uh, there are no uh, licensed vaccine available for CMV. So this is a good area to study on CMV therapeutics. And that's what I have been doing for my project. I have been studying glycosaminolichens and peptide-based therapeutics for human cytomegalovirus infection. Cool. And can you, when you say, um, uh, talk about those particular therapeutics, can you describe them in a little bit more detail? So I'm not actually that familiar with those types of therapeutics. Sure. So for the glycosaminoglycans, this project, this uh, manuscript just got recently published in, in PLOS pathogens in August. Oh, and great. this, thank you. So this, um, this is about, um, the, about this, this manuscript was titled that the degree of polymerization and, uh, so, and the um, sulfation is a critical determinant for uh, the entry of uh, viruses into cells. So a little bit about glycosaminoglycans. These are sugars that are present on cell surfaces. And um, these sugars are mostly present as proteoglycans. That means it has a protein core. And uh, a lot of these uh, glycosaminoglycans acts as host cell surface receptors. And a little bit of background why we pursued this project is because um, Heparin sulfate is well known and it has been well studied in the field for uh, herpes simplex. And it is well known as a core receptor for um, virus entry into the cells. And um, also the triol sulfation of hep um, heparin sulfate is particularly important. And there have been previous studies on it. And for cytomegalovirus, Heparin sulfate is important for entry of the virus in the human uh, iris cells. So we wanted to look further into this um, area about heparins, not only heparin sulfates, but other glycosaminoglycans, how they play a role, the degree of polymerization and sulfation. And if you want me to talk a little bit about the experiments, I can, I can totally tell you what the main findings were. Yeah, that'd be helpful. And I guess also just to give people some background about you know, how did you, what kind of experiments did you do to actually come to those findings? Sure. Our initial experiment was a glycoarray. And basically we took different kinds of sugars. Now each group of sugar, like some of them were sulfated, some of them were non-sulfated. And then each of the groups we had like increasing um, 
you know, number of sugar chains and increasing degree of um, sulfation, you know. And then, so for example, then we had like hyaluronic acid that was non-sulfated. Then we have our heparin sulfate. Then we had chondroitin sulfate, dermatin sulfate. So now each of these, we had like again, six replicate of this and we did a glycoarray. So it's like a chip and biochip. And then you have your, all the replicates or so number of sugars. And then you incubate it in the virus and you see the binding, like, so higher the binding, you will see, uh, you know, better um, GFP uh, signal from that. And that's from that we found out that um, heparin sulfate, um, it showed like really good binding. And interestingly, also like when you increase the um, sugar chains of the heparin sulfate, the bindings get better. So that kind of the first thing that we, found out, you know, and like non-sulfated, like uh, hyaluronic acid, like did not bind to anything. Like some of for the others, like they bound a little bit with the ones like with really high number of um, sugar residues, they showed showed some binding, but most importantly, heparin sulfate, that, that was our best candidate, honestly. And then what we did, we wanted to see if it is true that when you increase this chain length, the binding gets better. So what we did, um, we did a separate glycoarray of particularly of heparin sulfate and different, again, um, you know, again, we took different types of heparin sulfate. Some were like sulfate, uh, 2O sulfated, 6O sulfated, you know, um, 3O sulfated. And then, and, and again, each of these groups had different uh, increasing um, degree of the sugar uh, chains and sulfate groups. And interestingly, we found that the groups that had the highest number of sugar chain and moderate sulfation showed the best binding. So it, they need like, it's, it's very interesting that they need the perfect balance because there were groups that had really high sugar chains, but like not really good sulfation did not, they did bind, but did not show the highest binding. But then again, there were groups there, the sulfation was really high compared to the sugar chains. They also bound, but not the best. So there's like, you need to have moderate sulfation and high sugar chain length to, you know, there has to be a good balance to get the best binding. And um, this, uh, you know, gave us hope. We went ahead and did a lot of other experiments where we kind of took derivatives of um, a type of enoxaparin, which is a low molecular uh, heparin sulfate. So we had uh, little derivatives with different increasing degree of polymerization. So we started with degree of polymerization two, like there were two sugar molecules, and then we went to 20 and more than 20. And I mean, I cannot show you the curve here, but it showed a really good curve, like increasing curve, you know? So basically we, we uh, kind of treated the cells with these uh, different derivatives. And when you are infecting um, with viruses and then we harvest cells and look at the titer, so as the degree of polymerization kind of goes up, it protects the cell from the infection, you know? I see. So that would, that would be sort of like the therapeutic, these smaller mm -hmm. moieties as it were. Okay. Yes. So better the, so, so like, for example, compared with degree of polymerization 20 to two, the, the DP20 showed like better protection to the cells compared to like the DP2, you know? So yeah, that, that was really good. So that kind of proves our point that degree of polymerization is important for viral entry into the cells, you know? And, and other than that, um, 
we also looked at uh, for to look at the sulfations we had a bunch of um, cell lines which lacked certain um, enzymes uh, that are important in the heparin sulfated um, pathway maturation pathway and we saw that when a bunch of uh, cell lines that lacked the sulfotransferases enzyme that are important uh, in the heparin sulfate maturation pathway you could see that these cells um, you know, blocked uh, viral entry, you know, through like we did Western blot to see that. And other than that, we also did a couple of mass spec, um, you know, uh, experiments to see um, the binding. And this is, we showed for the first time the binding of glycoprotein B of uh, CMV, uh, the binding of glycoprotein B and heparin or heparin sulfate. So that was really cool because with, with increasing concentration in the, you know, when you're looking at um, spectrophotometric gra graphs, it's like, so higher the concentration, the, there is increasing, um, you know, uh, Ka or the association constant, the dissociation constant is less. So it kind of binds that, it stays stable. And that's how it also kind of showed for the other experiment where we tried to compete like if we could see if heparin sulfate competes like if heparin sulfate that has been given in the solution competes with the heparin sulfate that is on the surface so it's kind of like you have the chip and you already have heparin sulfate on top of it so that like act like your heparin sulfate on the surface and then you add heparin sulfate or heparin or other uh, you know glycosaminoglycans with your glycoprotein b and you see how much they bind so when you are when you have your glycoprotein B and heparin in the solution, they already bind to each other. So there is no place for them to bind the heparin on the chip. So that kind of shows the binding is really strong with glycoprotein B. Right. Cool, cool. So you were talking about like the fact that you're near the end of your PhD. So what are your future plans? What are you thinking of doing next? So, yeah. Next, I'm going to do a postdoc, and uh, I will be joining um, Dr. Krug's lab at uh, NIH at the National Cancer Institute, where she studies gamma herpes viruses. Mm -hmm. So I would still stay in the herpes virology field, but just to move from CMV to gamma herpes viruses. Oh, great. And what is going to be the focus of your work? What aspect of gamma herpes viruses? So mostly looking at latency and you know, um, I haven't started like any thinking about any project yet, but she has a lot planned for me. So mostly it's looking at the latency part of gamma herpes viruses because they are well known. And there are lots of mouse model. Like um, I think there is a well-known um, uh, and well-established mouse model to study gamma herpes viruses. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I guess one question then is, so since you have just recently sort of picked a postdoc lab, how did, how did that process work? What did you look for when you were looking for a postdoc? So I really wanted to stay in the herpes virology field. Somehow herpes viruses, just are, they're just amazing to me. And there are different kinds of herpes viruses. Oh, such a large DNA virus. I don't know how it manages to do everything, but, um, but yeah, um, I actually, because I was honestly really worried during the pandemic, all, everyone suggests us to like um, communicate or like make networking through these conferences, right? And 
during my time for mostly two years, I haven't been able to go and really start like, haven't been able to network with a lot of people because when you're doing like virtual conferences, like in the beginning in 2020, you would have someone speaking and as soon as the meeting ends, everyone's like, okay, bye, like, you know, goes away. But no, they are like improving and I really enjoyed ASV meeting this time. We had like social networking hour. That was great. Um, so, you know, I um, I met Dr. Krug um, in 2019 the International Herpes Virus uh, Conference and I saw her job posting on the ASV job website. And then I reached out to her and she got back to me. We started talking. So she interviewed me. I presented my projects, and that's that's where it started. You know. Great, great, cool. Um, well, that's very exciting. So, um, actually, can you reflect a little bit about so what has the been like during the pandemic for you? So for the last like year and a half or so, what's it been like for you? So for me, it was <laughs> it was mostly the first month like when I would say first three, four, three weeks or so when there was the full lockdown that I did not go outside the house. But then we were one of the, we were the virology lab and we had to come and step in and do some of the, the COVID-2 work, you know. And we were taking turns, like after a month of lockdown, we were taking turns to go in the lab. And Dr. Tandem, he's such a great advisor. He, he just... He just helped us so much. Like he would, he would, uh, you know, come like in the morning or whatever, and like he's like and make a schedule. It's like okay, you come in the evening if you can come in the evening, or you can come in the afternoon to continue and work on some of the pseudotype um, COVID two experiments that we were working on. And yeah, I was uh, most of the time like. I was going to lab every now and then. And for me, it was like, I don't even know what's a weekend, what's a weekday, you know, because I just want to get outside the house and go to the work and lab, you know, and work sometimes. So it was difficult the first year, honestly. But then at the end, I was like, everything was getting a little bit better. Not like the lockdown was, you know, there was no lockdown at that point. And I was like, okay, I need to go back to CMV and I need to graduate. So, Yeah. <laughs> And uh, do you still have family back in India? Yes, I do. How has that been like? So they, we've had our surges. They've had their surges. What's that oh, been like? So I haven't been able to see my family uh, since. So it's funny. I actually went to India in 2019, um, December, and mm -hmm. I came to U.S. And then after a week, it was COVID, like everything I was like oh my god I would have been locked in India if you know because the flights and everything yeah shut down that time so yeah I haven't seen my family since like uh beginning of 2020 and you know I really it it, it can be hard sometimes to not see your family and then again now I have my postdoc coming up and everything so I don't know. I really want to go to India for some time and um, just a week. I mean, and, and, you know, the train, it, it's, it's a long distance because you lose like two days in each way in transit. So when you want to go, you want to stay there for some time, you know. So <laughs> I hope I can see them soon. Oh, great, great. 
Well, um, thanks so much um, uh, for talking with us today. It was nice to hear about your work and we look forward to hearing from uh, you in uh, your gamma herpes virus, um, like your next, your next work. <laughs> yes, I hope so. I'm excited to learn about latency. <laughs> All right, great, thanks so much, take care. This has been Let's Meet the Virologist, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackeray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, and other podcast providers, or at lmtv.podbean.com.